0: The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the fourth chapter. Glory Glory to to you, O Lord. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able able to hear it, He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. St. Paul writes, So we are always confident. Even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Paul knows. We can cite verse after verse showing just how surely he knows that God is with us always. His most ringing endorsement of that truth is no doubt his crescendo of a finish to Romans chapter 8, climaxing with its exclamation mark, final refrain, Nothing, nothing in life or death, nothing in this world or the next can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul knows and confidently proclaims, That the love of God is alive and with us always. But he also knows that the fullest experience of that experience, the fullest experience of the with us always love of God is something that won't be, can't be experienced in the awesomeness of its allness until it is what welcomes us from this world to the next. And these beginning verses of that passage that we just have today, what we can hear is that sometimes the promise of the future we can't see except by faith so captures him. And that looking at all he can see here and now, he starts to wish, he even sometimes prayed that he could leave here and go there now, thus to be done with the suffering. He surely was suffering here and now. There are versions of that conversation I had more than once in one way or or another with my dear mother-in-law the last few years of her life. This is a woman who loved life. She rejoiced in life. She loved the loved ones she knew in this life. But sometimes, in these last couple of years especially, when though she hid it from many, uh, behind that bright smile she was so often smiling, sometimes she was... She was suffering, and she longed for that place, that place that she knew, not by sight, but by faith, where suffering would be no more, and where the embrace of the love of her Savior would be something she would at last experience in its fullness, and where the love, the embrace of the love of her life, her matchmaid and husband, her dear husband Paul, would be something she would at last experience again. Why is God keeping me alive so long? She said to me in one way or another more than once. And every time with the caveat that I, of course, am not God, um, I would tell her some version or another of, of something like, Grandma, I think it's because there are people in the world whom God is not yet done loving through the love of you. And there are people God has not yet done inspiring through the faith of you. And there are people God has not yet done forgiving through the mercy of you. And there are people God has not yet done blessing and helping and strengthening and healing through the prayers of you. And there are people God has not yet done growing in their own sense of gratitude through the thankfulness of you. And if you knew her at all, you know how she responded to me then, every time. Thank you, she would say. Every single time. Sometimes she would also say some version or another of, but I'm such a bother. Kathy and you have to do so much for me. And then I would say something like, Grandma, do you remember how Jesus washed his disciples' feet and then told them that love like that, servant love, is the greatest love there is? And she'd say, yes. Then I'd say something like, can you think of how much joy helping others when they needed it has given you in your lifetime? And then she would say, oh, yes. And then I would say something like, Grandma, the only way people can know the joy of helping others if there are others who need some help and are willing to accept some help. And right now, that's your job. Your job is to let others serve you and to come to know more deeply the love of Jesus in doing so. And then she would say, every single time Thank you. By faith, not by sight, St. Paul and Grandma Jean, too, did know that God being love, heaven will be heavenly. But St. Paul also knew, and my mother-in-law did, too, that faithfulness is not only about trusting the promise of heaven, it is also about touching this sin-wounded world with the love of heaven, which we've come to know because we've come to be known by Jesus. Paul continues, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearances and not the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. My goodness, there's a whole sermon series of stuff in those few verses. Let's just look at one thing. Paul's observation that we walk by faith rather than by sight actually has kind of a a flip side second kind of connotation to it in his second letter to the connotation to to the Corinthians, a connotation which emerged from the fact that there were people in Corinth who had followed Paul to Corinth to try to undermine his work and usurp his authority and correct his teachings, particularly people like to correct that nagging thing he kept saying, which they knew wasn't true, and that is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, not by being good enough on our own. And apparently, these, these never-Paulers, I, I made that up, but I kind of like that, never-Paulers, who followed Paul after him, were really impressive in their appearance and really dynamic in their speaking, and apparently Paul wasn't. Indeed, it's only hinted at in Scripture, although it is hinted at in Scripture, but on some early on outside of Scripture sources, um, it is said straight on that Paul was actually very unimpressing in the kind of appearance he made by looking at him with words like these used, a man of small stature and crooked legs, whose eyebrows met and had a hooked nose and a red florid face and a bald and shining head, and who was three cubits tall, which is four feet six inches, which is shorter than Jean. People also pointed out that while he wrote a strong letter, When it came to climbing in the pulpit, he was actually kind of weak. Saint, for crying out loud, Paul, apparently, wasn't a great speaker. In fact, some speculate that what he referred to in 2 Corinthians as some kind of a thorn in the flesh that afflicted him, even though he had asked God multiple times to take it away from him, might actually have been a speech impediment of some kind, that he stuttered, for example, maybe. The second connotation of walking by faith rather than by sight, people were judging Paul, criticizing Paul, dismissing him and his words based on what they could see when they looked at him, as opposed to what they saw when they looked at others, others who, Paul said, boast in outward appearance and not in the heart boasting in outward appearance and not in the heart. Nice that that doesn't happen anymore, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, here means not being fooled by what you see in others, or for that matter, what you see sometimes in yourself. Which Paul then adds on to by saying something so initially odd-sounding and even actually off-putting that the lectionary planners actually give us the option of omitting these next few verses, these verses being the verses where where you heard them. Paul invites the Corinthians, rather than listening to the boasts of others, to boast about him. And I mean, you read that, it's like, okay, now what? He's he's critical about people who who do boast about themselves, but now he wants others to boast about he himself? This sounds kind of hypocritical. Until you look more closely and more broadly, and you see what he's actually saying, at which point becomes not actually hypocritical, but actually well, kind of cool, I think. Because what you see, looking more broadly, is that Paul doesn't disagree with, he actually affirms those who say how unimpressive is his appearance and how unimpressive is his sermon delivery. He says they're right. And he's therefore asking the Corinthians here to boast, this is kind of fun, he's asking the Corinthians to boast about the fact that he isn't anything to boast about. Which is his way of saying, do you want to know just how great is the greatness of our God and how great is the grace of our God? Our God is so great and so grace." That God can call according to God's purposes and make use of according to God's plans even an unimpressive-looking and unimpressive-sounding sinner like me. That is the sentiment which will lead Paul a few chapters down the road in 2 Corinthians. We'll hear it in a few weeks to observe that God's strength and God's power are never seen more powerfully perfect in God's world than they are when God meets us and makes use of us precisely in our weakness, even in the weakness of our sin. One of the most impressive things you can see about God, in other words, Paul says, is what God can do in the world precisely with unimpressive people. Which means you don't need to be a rock star to be a star in God's eyes. You don't need to be rich to make a rich difference in God's world. You don't need to be applauded by the masses in order to know the applause of the angels. And you don't need to be invo- the owner of the brightest bulb in the world in order to shine. For to paraphrase a quote, the sentiment attributed anyway to Mother Teresa, your call may not be to do great things, but rather to do small things with great love, which it turns out is a great thing Every single time. And so finally, Paul writes, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. The Bible begins with the Genesis stories of creation, including a garden which is a paradise until sin raises its head. The Bible ends with St. John's glorious vision of a, of a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth where things are again and at long last restored to what they had always by God been meant to be. But here, here between the first creation and the final one, here in God's beautiful but sin-broken creation, Paul speaks here now of a new creation, which is, well, for starters, the new creation is you. You who know Jesus and know that you are known by Jesus and who now view yourself and others and creation not simply with the eyes of you, but with the eyes and the heart too of Jesus who doesn't judge you. With any of the sin-broken metrics the world does use to assign value or more often lack of value to you. Jesus' metric, rather, which ultimately guides every judgment he's ever made and ever will made. Jesus' measure is the metric of just how very deep is his and the Father's love for you. It doesn't mean he wears rose-colored glasses so he doesn't need your, see your sin. Of course he sees it. He forgives your sin. But unlike you, on those times when you sometimes sit around relentlessly beating yourself up about things you've done or left undone, he leaves forgiven sins behind. Then to see something oh so more than your sins, he sees... Oh my, he sees so clearly just how well and how beautifully love becomes you. And before you know it, with the Spirit now doing the things she does, you start seeing love becoming you too. As seeing yourself through the eyes of the love of God, Father and Son, you are a new creation by the time indeed by the time the holy spirit keeps doing her thing you almost can't help it as before you even know it you just you see yourself through the eyes of the love of god not only that but you see others you see family you see friends if you're not careful you see your enemies through the eyes of the love of god too and with that kind of vision when you are wronged you forgive and the more you forgive, the more you become forgiving. And when others are wronged, you help them and stand with them and stand up with them and for them. And when creation is wronged, you help it and stand up with it and stand up for it. And then too, as your vision gets better, you start seeing more and more of the ways that even sin wounded all that God has created is still in so very many ways, so very, very beautifully good. And you start saying thank you more. And the more you say thank you, the more you say thank you. And the more you say thank you, the more you find yourself, even sometimes without even intentionally trying, you find yourself a new creation praying or singing one version or another of Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son and Holy Ghost. Amen.